between when you have babies and when you go through menopause is this other time period. It was just creating the perfect storm for hitting the wall of perimenopause and no one had ever discussed that with me. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you were meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Girlfriend Doctor Show. I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite topics today, and this is intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting done right is so beneficial to our health, to our hormones, to our metabolism, to our brain function, to longevity. And intermittent fasting intermingled into your, um, into your lifestyle has profound effects. Fasting has been practiced through the centuries and, and incorporated into many religions. And you wonder, okay, if we, we do that to enhance our spiritual connection, and there's a physiologic reason for that. So I always say getting into ketosis, using fat for fuel over glucose and adding in the alkalinizing components that are so critical is part of that, is part of that magic that gives us a higher spiritual connection, a higher spiritual connection. So, um, so I want to share with you one of my good friends that I'll be I'm interviewing today, and her name is Cynthia Thurlow. You may have seen her on my fasting masterclass, and if you do not, please go check that out. Great conversation we had with Cynthia Thurlow, Dr. Mindy Pels, and Dave Asprey, and myself, and we uh, really dove deep into some fasting concepts and, and some great talk. The way I know Cynthia is from our Mindshare Mastermind Group, a, a, collaboration, a collaboration of health, healthcare entrepreneurs and leaders. And Cynthia really stands out as someone so committed to health and helping other people and just this heart-centered plus wicked smart, right? Wicked smart. She is a nurse practitioner and she's the CEO and founder of the Everyday Wellness Project. She's an international speaker with 10 million views on her second TEDx talk on intermittent fasting, the transformational technique. She's had over 20 years of experience in health and wellness and is a globally recognized expert in intermittent fasting. She has a new book coming out and it is called Intermittent Fasting. And the number one thing I want to share with you about her book, The Intermittent Fasting Transformation, has the IF45 plan. It's written for women. So we are so aligned in, in what we talk about. I am so excited to bring her to you today. And again, this Intermittent Fasting Transformation book, sister book to menu pause, get them both and share them. I mean, this is how we help heal and be empowered in our lives. So um, let me introduce you to her right now. Here we go. 
Welcome, Cynthia, to the Girlfriend Doctor Show. It's great to be here with you today. Yeah, so nice to see you. It's always nice to connect with you. It is. It's good to connect with you. I remember when we did our fasting masterclass, you were just moving into your new gorgeous home. Yes, a lot has changed in a year. Um, obviously, it's all good things. But yeah, it's nice to be nice to be settled uh, after living like a nomad for eleven months. Oh my gosh, that sounds. <laughs> well, I know you're glad, especially with a book coming out, right? Yes, like I, I remind people all the time that uh, you know, being in a global pandemic, kids, you know, being at home, schooling from home, writing a book uh, was definitely. An interesting exercise. I will keep reframing it and you know keep it on the positive, but it was definitely a very, very interesting process to go through. An opportunity, opportunity yes. for growth and development. That's right. That's right. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? <laughs> Something like that, right? Well, I, I'd love for you, and I've I've interviewed you before and I love talking with you about your you know, from transitioning from your clinical practice to focus on fasting, because you're going against the grain, right? Been going against the grain. And when you see patients like we have with diabetes and peripheral, like swelling in their feet, high blood pressure, all, you know, um, cognitive decline, memory loss, all of these things, hormone imbalance issues. And you really start thinking of um, how uh, you know, many times that we were trained, like someone comes in with lower extremity edema, hey, let's just give you some Lasix. Yeah. Hey, let's just do some Lasix right? and, and lift your legs up at night on the couch, you know? And it, it's not addressing the underlying reasons and little things that we can do because we were made this way to empower our body to heal itself, the highly intelligent, amazing cathedral of our spirit that uh, our spirit lives, you know, lives in. So, so share a little bit about your journey. Yeah, that's, and the irony is that I worked in cardiology as a nurse practitioner for 16 years. So I saw a lot of lower extremity edema. You know, I felt so blessed transitioning from uh, being an ER nurse to working in cardiology. I love everything about the heart. I love the rigor and the pace of being in critical care, ER medicine and, and cardiology. But after I became a parent, I felt like I didn't quite have to prove myself to the same degree. And having a child that had life-threatening food allergies really shifted my focus to thinking more about food as medicine, wanting to give him answers because it was unacceptable that the allergist looked at me and said, carry an EpiPen and pray because his allergies were so severe. And so that really sent me down the path of considering a doctoral program. I took one class and hated it. I did a wellness coaching program that didn't light me up. And then I read a book called Eat the Yolks. And I reached out to the author and said, everything you're saying in here is the antithesis of what I was taught in school. And yet intrinsically, I know that this is, this is the path for me. And so I, I dove down into a functional nutrition program and that lit me up. Mm -hmm. And I remember in 2015, when I finished that program, I was saying to my husband, it's very, very hard for me to go to the clinic or go to go to the hospital and round on patients and recognizing I'm never really addressing lifestyle medicine. I'm never really talking to them about the fact that their, their dietary choices have an enormous impact on their metabolic inflexibility, their cardiovascular disease, their diabetes, their sleep apnea, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then in 2016, I woke up one day and 
told my husband, I can't do this anymore. I just, I literally could not write another prescription. I was like the, the system I'm working in, although, you know, there are specific things where allopathic traditional medicine is really superlative. We do a terrible job with prevention. And so I took this leap of faith, didn't have a business plan, just leaped and said, I know I'm going to be successful. And so that was where I started from uh, as an entrepreneur. And almost instantaneously, I was attracting middle-aged women, just like myself, who felt that their needs and their voices were not being heard. And so a lot of what I did in the very beginning was just working with nutrition and doing elimination diets and doing some diagnostic testing. And that evolved into group programs and one-on-one programs. And then as an introvert, I decided to challenge myself further and do a TED Talk. And that turned into my first was on perimenopause. And I was remember being so embarrassed to talk about my perimenopause experience because I felt so much shame as a woman to have to talk about this like so publicly, but it was the best thing, so cathartic. And around the same time I accepted my first, I accepted my second. And obviously for anyone who's ever done a TED talk that's listening, you can't do a TED talk about the same topic. And I remember looking at my husband, December of 2018 and saying, what do I know a lot about? And he said, intermittent fasting. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a talk about intermittent fasting. And that was as much as I thought about it. Like it was that easy of a decision. And so you fast forward to March of 2019, I had been hospitalized for 13 days. Part of my mental recovery in the hospital, other than getting home to my family, was that I felt very compelled to do this talk. And God bless the, uh, the caretakers of this TED Talk because they humored me uh, and allowed me, they kept saying, we don't want you to compromise your recovery. We really genuinely want to make sure that you're in a healthy place. And so 27 days after I left the hospital, I went on to do a talk to prove to my kids that I was okay mm. and I everything. And so when I tell people- You've had millions of downloads on that talk, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like 10 million. It's, it's, a, little, uh, it's a little overwhelming sometimes when you think so about great. it. <laughs> um, and, and so- What, that, what ended you up in the hospital? Step back a second. Yeah, I had a ruptured appendix, but the ruptured appendix was also pancolitis that turned into a small bowel obstruction, which turned into retroperitoneal abscesses, which turned into a fistula between my cecum and my appendix. Mm. And, uh, you know, I remember I was probably a week and this, this tells you something, my surgeon, female surgeon, she was amazing. She was coming to see me three times a day. And I remember her telling me, she's like, if we can't turn this around, you're, I don't know what we're going to do. And so, uh, by just pure happenstance, they had this phenomenal interventional radiology team that was on call in the middle of the night and they took me in to put drains in. But I, I remember feeling almost um, like an out-of-body experience because as a clinician, you know so much. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're realizing like the sick person is you. And I just said, I'm way too young to, to have any other outcome other than getting home to my boys. And so I, I went home and I, I think manifestation is a really powerful, powerful thing. And so for me on, on so many levels, I feel that this was my destiny, that it was meant to happen that way, that I was meant to be so sick and then to come back and then have something pretty powerful happen. But that second TED talk really was to prove to my family that I was okay. Mm, wow. Turned into so much more. So much more, really. It's created a whole new, uh, you know, launch pad and influence in the world with your 
you know, intermittent fasting, right? Talking about intermittent fasting before it became popular and it's so critical. And you have a book coming out on intermittent fasting with the IF45 plan. So I'm going to tell our audience, you guys are going to have to check out this book. It is amazing. It is a great sister book to Menu Pause, you know, really to hone in on these ideas and plus talking more, especially when you're in the perimenopause. Um, about getting, really working with fasting when your cycle's unpredictable. So, Cynthia, because you gave a talk, and I didn't know your first TED talk was on perimenopause, so <laughs> I had no idea. This is yeah. news to me. So, tell me, tell me uh, the passion, the passion behind, you know, about the perimenopause. How, what you tell what you teach uh, and write around that, because there's so much confusion, right? The, 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 the nomenclature that we have have for menopause and for so much of women's health, right? If you're over 35 and you've had more than one child, you are classified an elderly multigravida. I mean, just yes. does that make any sense? It's just terrible. Yes. It's just terrible, advanced maternal age, right? Elderly multigravida. I mean, it's just terrible terminology and it's definitely, true with menopause and perimenopause and, and, um, you know, and, and the list goes on. And, and so let's talk about that because perimenopause, and we're seeing it so much earlier now. Um, and, and that's probably a trend that may continue unless we're doing what you're writing about, what I'm writing about shifting this around, not just for us, right. For our families. Absolutely. Well, I think the, <laughs> the irony is, in 2015, we bought and sold two homes and moved on the same day. I would never recommend that. And then you add in, I had this, even though I work part-time, very stressful nurse practitioner job. My boys were both in elementary school. My husband did a tremendous amount of international travel. And I probably was over-exercising, not intentionally and not getting enough sleep. And it was just creating the perfect storm for hitting the wall of perimenopause. And no one had ever discussed that with me. No one had ever said hey, Cynthia, in between when you have babies and when you go through menopause is this other time period. And, you know, I, I'd like to think where I went to school is, you know, regarded as, you know, much like, you know, you went to Emory, I went to Hopkins. And so well-regarded program uh, and, you know, medical system. And no one had ever used that term before, but I hit the wall and I was doing all the wrong things to create the perfect storm to you know, wake up one day and I could barely function. I was exhausted. I was gaining weight. Uh, I had terrible food sensitivities. I'd never dealt with that before. I had no energy. I didn't even have energy to get on the treadmill and walk. I remember being that exhausted. And so part of my perimenopause TEDx talk was talking about the things I did to heal my body. Because when I went to my GYN, coincidentally on the day my period started, what it was offered to me was the following, synthetic hormones. Oh, if you don't want to do that, we'll give you an IUD. And then it was like, oh, well, well we can also do an ablation. Or if you really don't want to deal with it, we'll just do a hysterectomy. And I remember, I think my chin hit the floor. And I said- But you're, you know, you're not alone. And that isn't just, you know, oh, well, that was years ago. Uh-uh, this is today. Yeah. This is today. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that was me hitting the wall of perimenopause. Those are the things that were offered to me. And I kept saying, there's just no way that's going to happen. So a lot of what I had to do was reroute everything. I had to prioritize sleep. I had to stop overtraining. I had to change my diet. I was really probably bordering on a ketogenic diet, but it was too, not enough carbs for as active as I was. I had to back off on the intensity of my work. You know, I went from, you know, predominantly doing more clinic-based stuff, but got out of the hospital entirely 
and really, you know, doing some soul searching because I kept saying, I'm not depressed. This is not about being depressed. I had to work on gut health. I mean, it was so not sexy. I had a parasite. I mean, there were a whole slew of things that happened, but it really changed the trajectory of everything I was doing because all of a sudden I was being forced to really work on that self-care piece. And I think most of us bumble through our twenties and thirties and we just kind of keep adding to our plate. Yes, yes, yes. I'll do this. I, I don't need to sleep. I can sleep when I'm dead. You know, I, I don't have to worry about stress management. And I almost feel like in many ways, perimenopause is a barometer. It's the barometer to let us know, are you balancing, you know, the, the autonomic nervous system, parasympathetic, sympathetic. And I wasn't, I was doing a really crummy job. So from that point forward, I had to completely rethink the way I did everything. And that was really humbling. And I think in turn, that really focused the lens on, are you really happy doing what you're doing, writing prescriptions and, you know, carrying on with this kind of traditional allopathic. And let me be very clear. I'm never, I'm not being critical of my peers. I'm just saying in emergencies and urgently, allopathic medicine does a great job. Otherwise I, I would have, you know, I, I wouldn't be here to be honest. Right. However, with prevention, chronic disease management, we have a lot to learn. And so, you know, from my perspective, hitting the wall is what changed the, you know, it's, it's almost like you can see the path left less traveled. You know, each time that the path would shift, I took the, the less common direction. And I have to give my husband a lot of credit. I think he thought I was nuts, completely nuts. Like now he doesn't think I was nuts, but but, you know, six, seven years ago, we thought I was completely nuts uh, to, you know, walk away from cardiology because it was something I, I love being a nurse practitioner, oh, but I'm so grateful. Yeah. I'm so grateful for the opportunities to impact more lives doing what I do now and being able to inspire women. I, I think that's really, like I say all the time, like, obviously I was meant to marry my husband. I was meant to have my two boys. And the third thing I was meant to do is the work I'm doing now. And so I feel so very grateful. Like all those things happened for a reason. It was just keep shifting my path. So that path less traveled is really what I think is, was what God or the universe intended me to be doing. And so I, I sit in gr gratitude, although I sit back and I, I'm equally humble. I just say, wow, um, this shy introverted girl never thought this was possible. And so now I get to connect with, you know, leaders in the space like you. And, and I just am very, very grateful. Oh, well, I, I love it. I love it. And that you've, you know, we say take uh, lemons and make lemonade. And often, you know, maybe things happen for a reason and we create reason out of things that happened. And that is because you've taken action. You've taken discipline. You've trusted your intuition. You have many options, but you trusted your intuition to take the option that you've taken now. So you're in the flow of of what really you know serves you what you've been created to do in a way that is elegant and courageous and brave and bold and beautiful and all these things combining and helping others do the same thing and and i think this is really powerful I often think back on on my history if it wasn't for the experiences in my life i wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now in, in such a big way, right? And, and in different ways. And, I, and I'm very grateful too for all the, the journeys that I've been on, but I think like you would say for yourself, I would never wish anyone the same path I've been on to, to fill my doctor's bag with, <laughs> with what I filled it 
with and that and that's true and that's why you know i think that is true why you i see you doing it and me you know passionate about teaching this and empowering others and and through that we empower physicians to also trust our intuition I am so grateful for how I've learned to do things and how, you know, and I said, don't discriminate on healing methods if they work and traveling around the world, learning from others, being inspired and, you know, and reinforced and encouraged by your work, by so many in our space. I loved our fasting masterclass that we did together. You guys, I'll put the link in the, in the notes for that, but that was definitely some good conversation. So let's hit on, on some of the key things with your book that you have coming out here for in a minute about intermittent fasting. Uh, let's talk about when, because the question that comes up so much about cycling, you know, mm-hmm. cycling with your fasting and when do you feel it is best? Say for example, someone in perimenopause is getting ready to start her period and she's scheduled, she's doing uh, a plan and she wants to do three days of fasting when is the best time in your experience that that works? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's important for women to understand that this infradian rhythm, you know, when we're still getting our menstrual cycle is such an important rhythm to honor in our bodies. And so for me, from the day that a woman bleeds till right before ovulation, that's the follicular phase. And this is an estrogen predominates. That's the ideal time to do longer fasts. The time period where I don't like to see a woman do a prolonged fast is in the luteal phase, like the five to seven days preceding the menstrual cycle, because that seems to be a time where we have, there's more insulin sensitivity in our follicular phase, there's more insulin resistance in our luteal phase. This is when progesterone is supposed to ideally predominate, obviously in a perimenopausal woman, progesterone might be waxing and waning, you may have more trouble sleeping, more anxiety, more depression, Uh, et cetera. And so the five to seven days preceding the menstrual cycle, that additional stressor, I generally recommend women back off on the longer fasts. You can do 12 to 13 hours of digestive rest. In my clinical experience, women have done much better embracing that time period, the five to seven days preceding the menstrual cycle, backing off on fasting, you know, leaning into some healthy carbs, obviously uh, abiding by, you know, keto uh, friendly carbohydrates, really leaning into those non-starchy vegetables uh, but really being mindful of the fact that we want to support our bodies as best as possible. And that additional stressor right before you menstruate can be one that can be particularly disruptive. So longer fasts in the follicular phase, shorter fasts right before your, um, your menstrual cycle will, will keep you better balanced. That's a good point and good, um, good description. And that one thing too, I want to mention because um, oftentimes we're on progesterone in post in menopause and postmenopause. And one of the big things that I realized is that uh, many times it's being uh, prescribed or self-taken without days off. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the most important hormones to cycle off of too. So we don't have to have two weeks off, two weeks on, none of that, but, you know, one to two days off per week, three to five days off per month, because long progesterone, especially at higher levels, increases insulin resistance. Oh, interesting. And, and, that, can, and that can negatively um, impact, you can certainly create that, maybe that's the weight loss resistant piece, just stop the progesterone for three to five days and, and just start back up. Now, mo- many of my women, especially postmenopause, like, uh-uh, I, I can't do more than one day off progesterone. Uh-uh, I know I'm forgetting things, you know, and so, but that's why it's really important 
mm-hmm. to to cycle it, to you know, pulse it, to really train your body up, and then of course support your natural progesterone production, natural adrenal. And if we are doing that, we can support with DHEA, we can support with testosterone, we can support with estrogen too. But I definitely found that link in high-level prolonged progesterone. We need to take we need to take breaks in that. Um, out of curiosity, because I'm using this as a learning opportunity for myself, when you define higher levels, are you talking about 400 milligrams at night or are you talking about lo- even at lower levels? Well, if it's every day, even at like oral, oral progesterone at 200, I find oral more so than transdermal, but I follow that rule of thumb with transdermal because I haven't seen studies specifically on transdermal and insulin resistance. So if you're using a progesterone cream, et cetera, I, I Theoretically, because the is you know the fat receptors, the cellular receptors can store progesterone. I mean, I would just cycle off to cleanse the receptor sites. I think that's really important. But specifically oral, and I think any oral progesterone, but 200 and certainly anything higher than that. And 200 milligrams is a healthy dose. I see some people under-prescribe progesterone, only 100 milligrams oral. And so you really have to watch the endometrial lining, do ultrasounds, if that's the case, if you have a uterus. But, and then again, I think progesterone is critical with or without a uterus. My audience hears me say that all the time, and I can't emphasize it enough. But that is, a, you know, it's a neuropeptide, it's a neurohormone. And so we want to, however, give those breaks. And I have used higher doses of progesterone, 400, even 600 in postpartum depression. The safest, wow. you know, most important, you know, really critical uh, support and sometimes in in severe in severe depression again, but too much progesterone too long is going to worsen, could potentially worsen depression, moodiness, things like that. So it is, you know, it's that not too much, yeah. not too little, the just right. But then there are seasons for a reason. So we look to my, I always think, okay, we look to Mother Nature. What does the science say? And clinically, how does this really pan out? So certainly. Um, that's the, that's the thing that I found to work best. It's all about the Goldilocks effect. I mean, it I, I bioindividuality and I know that a lot of perimenopausal menopausal women are fiercely protective of their sleep to the point where I, I've had people who have like adamantly opposed adjustments and supplements or even, uh, you know, I, I'm always getting pegging myself. I've been experimenting with some things that I then, if I, if I've experimented with them, then I'm comfortable uh, suggesting them to clients, but uh, boy, there's a lot out there for sleep. Just sleep alone uh, for women in this age range. It can be, uh, you know, it can be interesting navigating, trying to figure out the right balance for each individual. I'm sure you probably see that all the time with your, your female patients. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, so Cynthia, with fasting, thinking of fasting and women in general post-menopause, well, you know, it's interesting because I had some comments, they talk a lot about intermittent fasting, that some of the, the um, diabetic community or nutritionist for the diabetic community um, would say, well, there's a lot of eating disorders in this community, fasting isn't good. And always when I'm talking about diabetes, well, number one, I've worked with a lot of type one diabetes, so hand in hand with your physician, but um, type two diabetes, 95% of diabetes is type two. That's what I'm talking about. But the, the eating disorder, that fasting could trigger eating disorders, as well as, you know, how good is it for diabetics? 
Well, I would be the first person to say that uh, type two diabetes is a lifestyle, uh, a lifestyle issue. So I, I've had fantastic success with women that are insulin resistant and diabetic with fasting. And there's a lot of good research to support that as well as a low carbohydrate diet. Now, if someone's hiding their eating disorder in uh, fasting, and that does happen, I see a lot of it in the fit pro space, you know, individuals that are hiding their anorexia uh, under the guise of, you know, prolonged fasting. You know, I've had some women that have had history of binge disorders or uh, bulimia or anorexia, more so the bulimics, that if they're under treatment, if they're working with an eating disorder specialist, and they together decide that they're at a position where they can healthfully participate, then that is, you know, on a case-by-case basis. But it has really been my experience that fasting can trigger some of those distorted relationships with food. And so I I always say with caution, because there are always exceptions. But I, I do find that quite a few of the individuals I see on social media, when they disclose to me that they've had a history of anorexia and they want to try fasting, it makes me a little hesitant. I always say, are you in recovery? Are you working with someone? Mm-hmm. I really would encourage you to have that conversation with your doctor, your psychologist, to make sure you're you're ready to be adding in. Let's be honest, it's a hormetic stress to the body. Mm-hmm. Got to make sure that you are uh, in an appropriate stage in your recovery where that wouldn't compromise your your health. Yes, absolutely. So thank you for emphasizing that. I appreciate that. So let's, and then postmenopausal, way, way postmenopause fasting, any concerns? Well, so here's my kind of standard mantra. If you're not sleeping through the night, don't add in intermittent fasting. And, and by this, I mean, you know, how many women do we see who can't sleep through the night? They have horrible sleep. They're exhausted. They're insulin resistant. We don't want to add another stressor. Let's let's figure out why you're not sleeping. Is it nutrition? Is it stress management? Is it your lifestyle? Are you underneath bright lights in the evening mm-hmm. that are dysregulating melatonin secretion? So really kind of leaning into why you're not sleeping first. And once that has been addressed, I do believe that for many, many women, especially in menopause, especially the ones who feel like they've had this stubborn weight loss or this weight loss resistance. And that's where a lot of good research has been done on obese menopausal women. I do think it can be the missing piece of the puzzle. And I certainly have lots of examples in the book talking about these women. It makes me so happy for them that utilizing a strategy of just eating less often can be so beneficial, but always with the caveat of, are you sleeping? Because if you're not sleeping, I'm not going to be able to get you to lose weight. And that's what a lot of people gravitate towards fasting is the idea of changing body composition, of losing weight. And I have to remind them and caution them that, you know, you got to dial in on the sleep piece, got to dial in the stress management. And as we both know, and I'm sure many of your guests have talked about, we just don't manage, physiologically manage stress as easily as we did in our 20s and 30s. You know, our adrenals take a hit. We have to be much more deliberate about stress management, meditation. Um, You know, I was actually talking about heart rate variability with one of my groups before we jumped on earlier really emphasizing to people, you've got to take care of yourself. This is a sandwich generation. We've got aging parents. We've got older kiddos. Uh, you know, certainly we're in points in our career where we have a lot, a lot more probably responsibility than we did when we were younger. And, and therefore, I think it's critically important that we take care of ourselves so that we can utilize these strategies and be successful with them. Because, you know, it, it's the perfect, perfect situation 
perfect situation to, uh, my dogs are agreeing, perfect situation when we suddenly have women who are desperate, and, I use, and I'm using their words, not my own, they're desperate to get results. And so they want intermittent fasting to be the one thing. And I always say, listen, I want you to have the best results. And that's why I know clinically, you'll get the best results if we can you know, moderate these lifestyle pieces first and then successfully integrate this into your lifestyle. That sounds amazing, a very sound approach, right? It's Because it's not just one thing, there are many spokes to a wheel and in order for us to like breeze through, roll through, we've got to address those and that's so critical. So because you're right, you know, fasting is a stress. So tell us about your book. Yeah. And, and so the plan in your book too, IF45, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, no, so the, the plan really came out of the, uh, the interest after that talk went viral. Uh, you know, my team and I kind of scrambled to put together a program to be able to help facilitate people through this journey. So it's 45 days, we have a week of um, where you're cleaning out your pantry and you're stopping snacking and doing all sorts of other things. And then it's really giving you the tools to be successful. The tools that I have found have been most effective over the last three years. And so it's really, uh, you know, taking, it's, it's like me in a book, you know, I'm the one that's going to step-by-step talk to you about the type of nutrition, uh, the type of stress management you need to do, supplements, how not to break your fast. It really is a blueprint for success with fasting unique to women. There's not anything else that's like this out there. I feel, you know, I feel like this is the consummate book of books for women in fasting to uh, allow them to have the opportunity to be really successful. And there's troubleshooting in there. There's lots of resources. Um, you know, from my perspective, it's really a labor of love. Writing a book really is a labor of love. It is. It is. And birthing a child, birthing a yes. book. So yeah. let's talk about how not to break your fast. You mentioned that. Yes. So, you know, I'm, I'm a- And how many fan. hours do you work people into fasting? Yeah. So- I'm using one of the more popular methods, which is a 16-8. So it's 16 hours fast with an eight-hour feeding window. For some people, they don't start off there. They may do 12 hours fast in a 12-hour feeding window, but I walk you through how to go about doing that. But one other thing that I think is really important is the differentiator between clean and dirty fasting. I'm a fan of you using clean fasting or learning how to clean fast because you're going to get the best results. And clean fasting really focuses in on black coffee. Bitter teas. Bitter means bitter. Bitter as in it's not going to be sweet. It's not, you know, celestial seasonings, apple, cinnamon, basket of tea. Uh, and then also filtered water with electrolytes. Electrolytes are critically important. And I can't overemphasize that if you want to be successful with fasting, you need to be replacing the electrolytes that you use in your urine. And especially for individuals, if they are new to fasting, they're going to have a renal loss. So they'll urinate out a lot of their electrolytes, especially sodium, potassium, magnesium, and chloride. And so from my perspective, the clean fast is a differentiator. You know, people like to split hairs about cream. And I remind them that, you know, cream is insulinemic, meaning it will provoke an insulin response. So I like people to understand why I say, you know, save the cream. If you want to do a fatty coffee, do in your feeding window. Um, you know, buttered coffees and things like that. I always say, if you're trying to change body composition, you're trying to lose weight, a 300 calorie coffee is not doing you any benefit. So just be cognizant of the choices that you're break, that you're making. But some of the common uh, mistakes I see people making is they have branched chain amino acids, they have protein powder. I've heard uh, some fit pros on social media will say things like, it's under 50 calories, so it doesn't count. And I'm like, well, it's food. So yes, yeah. it does count. 
Yeah. And one of the things that, because I've done it all different ways for the last, gosh, seven, eight years now. And one of the things that I've tried it different ways that I, because I are, you know, when we're starting out, it's really important to support your body's detoxification processes. And so there's that fasting is a muscle, right? And I, that's what I liked about your IF45, because it's three phases yeah. and you're working people through, you know, exercising their fasting muscle. For me, it's like, you know, a lot of times in the morning, I, I do do my Mighty Maca Plus because to detoxify out the toxins that have come up. Now, I haven't measured mTOR, but I know that I feel tremendously better. I'm able to fast longer. And I think electrolytes are, are true. True. So in, in, in my fasting day today, my Keto Green 16 plan, we're on uh, day 15. And there's, op, you know, our option is to do a water fasting so water fasting today, water and bitter teas, some uh, uh, mountain tea I'm drinking, uh, just some green teas. And I added some minerals. Like before I got on this call, I'm like, I'm feeling hungry and I need my brain, you know, to be really clear to interview the amazing Cynthia Thurlow and I'm fasting. Of course, we're going to talk about fasting. And um, so I just put some electrolytes in some water and I use, I love the Emerson Ecologics Tri-Salts because it's not sweet at all. And so it just, it blends in and it's just chug that down and I'm not hungry. I feel clearer. So, I mean, it's just that in this, even a three-day water fast using electrolytes and it seems proven based on much of the fasting research to be very beneficial. Absolutely. Very beneficial. A lot of people that struggle with fasting in the beginning that don't listen about the electrolytes, they can get something, it's called keto flu, but oftentimes it's, it's related to this loss of electrolytes in the body. They have headaches, they're nauseous, they've got cramps, they're dizzy. And I would say, I, I'm not going to say I told you so, because I don't like to, to come at people like that, but I just remind them like gently, if you consume electrolytes, you know, unsweetened electrolytes while you're fasted. You can consume like a, you know, Redmond's and Element make nice options um, during a, a fed state if they want something that's sweetened. Um, you know, for me, I, I usually will do a couple, you know, during the course of a day, I might do a couple of elements in, in a large thing of water uh, just to make sure I can kind of be mindful of my water intake throughout the day. But mm -hmm. I agree with you. I can tell you even today has been a heavy podcasting day. And I can tell like towards the end of the day, I'm like, I'm thirsty because I've been doing a lot of talking. Mm -hmm. but I also haven't been as hydrated as I normally am. So I'll be playing a little bit of catch up probably early into this evening and definitely all day tomorrow. Yeah, but really, really good, good points. And um, the other thing too is in extended fasting. Do you work at all with extended fasting? I do. I do. And we've got a couple extended fasts in the book and, and I do find a great deal of value. But as you mentioned, the fasting muscle, we want to make sure that we're at a position where we can do a you know 24 hour fast before we do fasts that are longer than that. I think it really depends on someone's goals. There are some people that are just extremists. And so they want to do a three to five day fast. I've got some people who really are dealing with weight loss resistance. And so they might benefit from doing a 30 slash 16 and so there's lots of ways to look at this to make it sustainable, manageable. I do find, you know, menopausal women in particular do pretty well with like one 24 hour fast a week, depending on what their goals are. Like they, they're happy there. They'll, they can breeze through a 24 hour fast. I do find sometimes it's easier to fast lunch to lunch than dinner to dinner. Um, I, I think that can be hugely beneficial. And I feel so honored because today is, 
you know, the International Fasting Day and we're connecting, talking about one of my favorite topics. Yes. Yeah, no, I love it too. And I think those are some of the things that we think about with fasting. What about MCT oil in a, in a fast? It's interesting. When I looked at the research, a teaspoon of MCT oil was okay. But more than that, it could kind of push you out of, we know MCT oil is metabolized differently in the body. But I usually say to people, if you really feel like you're new to fasting and you need a little bit of MCT oil in your coffee to, to be a buffer, you know, it's like putting those training wheels on. I think that's fine. But with the understanding that at some point you want to get to a point where you don't necessarily need fatty coffees to get through a fast. But I think one thing I learned from Dave Asprey was, you know, recognizing that some people are coming from a standard American diet where they're snacking all day long and they're not very physically active. And so we really want to meet people where they are to be able to provide the, the degree of support that they, they feel like their body needs in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree too. It's that again, what, what can get us to the results that we want without, you know, without suffering or hurting our body or hurting our mind. And again, sometimes it's just believing you can do it and doing it to get you over that hump too. You can do without and to get over that hump. And the other thing is exercising, fasting, more and more research, especially in longevity research is saying, okay, I like to exercise in the morning or I don't get it done. Although I am going tonight. Um, but oh, it's, yeah, I know. Cause I, but I've been gone for five, six days now. So, um, you know, and it's one of those things that, you know, you, know, you really want to, to exercise and change things up too, but yeah. exercising, fasting can help with longevity. And that's, an important ad. All right. Where can people get your book? Cynthia, where can people get your book? And I know your website is amazing and your Instagram is amazing. So we want everyone to connect with you on social media as well. Yeah. So www.cynthiatherlow.com. You can pre-order the book through the website, but it's also available on Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble, and your local book retailers. And there are some pretty cool pre-sale options. So if you buy the book ahead of publication, it's being published officially on March 15th, there are some really cool pre-sale bonuses, including Clean and 14, which to me is the precursor to ensuring you can max- maximize your results with IF45. Oh, I love it. So you're getting them warmed up and ready to go as soon as the book comes out. Exactly. So you guys, so this amazing book, you know, with Cynthia Thurlow's Intermittent Fasting book coming out March 15th. March 15th, it's hard March, to believe. March 15th. And um, don't forget, Menu Pause is coming out April 12th. So sister books, go ahead and pre-order. Amazing yeah. bonuses. You don't get them after the book's out. This is for, it is such an important, it's like the, um, you know, it's one of the secrets of, of being with a, a publishing house is that the pre-order book sales really um, garner the publicity of the book and plus the um, future future books. And this is information that you guys, we don't have time as physicians, as nurse practitioners in the, in the clinical office to give you this information. So this is how you can be empowered. And I want that for all of you. Thank you, Cynthia, for being here today. And Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Everyone go to CynthiaThurlow.com and definitely check her out on Instagram 
or go, you know, wherever you're getting books. I always support my local bookseller so you can buy an extra one there, but also order on Amazon because yes. <laughs> Amazon bestseller status is really good. And this is too something you want to do with your girlfriend. So this is a nice book to gift as well and do in community. And I know you're really big, especially in social media to help lead people in community, Cynthia. So I love being connected to you. Thank you for being my girlfriend as well as my colleague. And thank you for this great work you're doing today. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for being here on the Girlfriend Doctor Show. You are, I'm so grateful for you and I really love your reviews. So please, those five-star reviews just light me up. Thank you for doing that and sharing this podcast with the many people in your life that need to hear it. Thank you all and have a great day. 